Hello and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Hoburn. My name is Dan Schreiber. I'm sitting here with Anna Tashinsky, James Harkin and Andrew Hunter-Murray. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with fact number one, and that is Andy. My fact is that thousands of soldiers who died at Waterloo were turned into sugar. Incredible. <laughs> Oh. It's a horrible fact about a horrible <laughs> battle. Wow. It's, it's incredible. Uh, it's really um, bad, this one. Yeah. How do you turn a person into sugar? That seems very unlikely. Well, firstly, Asking for a friend. <laughs> you have to lure them to Waterloo uh, in 1815, kill them. Oh. Um, so I have to be French. What, no, well, oh, I'm so glad we got onto this already. <laughs> there are so many nationalities who fought at Waterloo. Oh, yeah. yeah. Actually, most of the English army was um, German. Is that really? nuts? Yeah. Yeah. Like two, I, thirds I didn't realize of, two thirds were German speaking as a first language. Lots of Dutch soldiers as well. Belgian, yeah. 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 yeah, they were just brought in, weren't they? Sort of, we don't have enough. Can no, you no. fight? <laughs> if you're listening to this in Europe, probably your nationality was represented at Waterloo in some capacity or another. Yeah. And oh, more, yeah. more than the Brits, who constituted about 12% of. The British led well, army. Well, it was about a third. It was about a third. Estimates may vary. Oh, they do. I, they I vary think at the yeah. lower end, yeah. we think maybe only, you know. So, mm. what are, are we saying in case you don't like British sugar? Don't worry. There is multinational sugar in it. Well, it was. They set up a sugar factory on the, pretty much on the battlefield. Yeah. I mean, it was all a bit. All Can a bit I refer you taste. to my earlier question? <laughs> How I'm does one turn a human into Sorry, some okay. sugar? All right, thank you. Because sugar is a thing that grows in the ground in sugar beet or sugar cane. Yeah. And then you harvest it, well, and there are no humans involved. Generally that's true. Speaking. That's true. But what you do need to do is filter sugar syrup when you're making the sugar. Ah. So this was something. Basically, very, very few bodies have been found on the battlefield at Waterloo. Yeah. Like suspiciously few. Two, Isn't it just, two full yeah. skeletons? It's two. Is it <laughs> of twenty thousand? So e are we sure it wasn't just <laughs> Napoleon and Wellington, Wellington. <laughs> just coming at it? And they just really um, over-egged, like whoever won really told a much bigger lie yeah, about yeah. what had happened there. Um, it's the greatest prank in history. Let's <laughs> really pull the wool over those twenty-first century idiots' eyes. No, so there were there were lots of graves, and there were huge graves, but only a few bones have been found. Like as you say, two full skeletons. They found three legs relatively recently as well, recently, which was near one of the hospitals. So those were probably amputated legs on the day. Oh the right, so it's not that it was Napoleon versus Wellington, and one of them had three legs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. that's what I was hoping. One of the skeletons <laughs> was a tripod. Um, uh, but you're right; there should have been huge numbers of dead people uh, or, or sort of bodies in the ground, and the. Theory is, and this is quite a recent theory that's been developed, is that in the aftermath of the battle, the local residents, uh, the sort of local peasants, they dug up the corpses and they sold the bones to people working in the sugar beet industry because the bones were really valuable at the time. And normally animal bones were used. You would cook the bones. That made a powder called noir animal, uh, which you could use to filter the sugar syrup and make lovely okay. clean sugar. So these wow. days... Um, noir animal is still used, but animal animal bones, yeah, and yeah. also not in sugar. It's used for other products and things. So sugar these days doesn't hasn't sugar been sugar is bones. vegan. Don't worry, yeah, vegetarians Sh yeah. worldwide. Yeah. <laughs> sugar is vegan, but the theory is that local peasants just dug up the bodies wow. and, and used the bones for the, this industry, and it's yeah. a pretty compelling theory at the moment. Because we've known for ages that they took the teeth out of people, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, uh, and they used them for false teeth. 
and so false teeth were known as Waterloo teeth yeah. for yeah, Waterloo for hundreds of years. Such a yeah, it's so dark. It's very macabre. But, yeah. And they did write about the sugar thing back in the 1800s. There was a German newspaper that actually wrote, "You should be using honey to sweeten food and avoid risk of having your great grandfather's <laughs> atoms dissolved in your coffee one fine morning." Wow. Yeah, I like so, that. I quite like that I, idea I, too, of recycling actually. your grandparents mm. yeah, into <laughs> your body. Yeah, yeah. And in 1822, there was an article in the Observer that said, "It is now ascertained beyond the." doubt by actual experiment on an extensive scale that a dead soldier is a most valuable article of commerce and they were talking about the fact that they were ground up and used as fertilizer yes they were weren't they they covered the fields of europe i suppose in a way it's recycling yeah good on them isn't it like once you're dead like do you really care exactly a Mm. controversial question wow Um, oh it's not that controversial once you're dead I'm pretty sure you don't care. <laughs> Unless you're a ghost, I Sorry. suppose. Yeah. I mean, does one care? Mm. Yeah. Some people care what happens to um, you yeah. know, the dead. Yeah. Um, there That's was a thing called controversial. <laughs> <laughs> there was a thing called the bone rush. And okay. it was partly because it was actually partly because of Britain, because Britain blockaded sugar. Right. Because right? most sugar came from places like the West Indies, which were British uh, colonies at the time. And Britain had blockaded that, so not much sugar could get to Europe. So Europe set up a, a big sugar beet industry that was a kind of way of making sugar mm-hmm. that didn't rely on shipping. Yeah. So that, and then that needed the bones. So, yeah. In so a thank sen- God for Waterloo. In a sense, it's our yeah, fault. Yeah, yeah. In a sense. <laughs> in a sense. In a sense. Um, Waterloo, I can't, I can't believe, I can't believe we've hardly talked about Waterloo before. Mm. I'm so excited. Oh. I can't believe we we're only going to do one section on it. I got, like the rest is history, guys. They would get eight <laughs> episodes out of the Battle of Waterloo. <laughs> and we have to cram it into 50 minutes. It's not fair. Yeah. I think you're optimistic about 15 minutes, I'll be <laughs> yeah. honest. I'm looking at some of the other facts coming up and I reckon they might be a bit longer. Oh, no. You're allowed so one fact, Andy. No, we've got to go through. What's the whole... your fave? What's your fave Waterloo fact? Apart from the headline, obviously, which oh my, man, my definition is. I'm quite interested in the cavalry charges and stuff, and oh, the yeah. and the you know the farmhouse at the centre of it all, and all that. You know the 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 stuff that doesn't make very good stuff for our show. You have I brought suppose. a lot of toy soldiers onto <laughs> the table. <isn't> <laughs> well, there is. Have you heard of the Siborn model? No. no, this is so cool. This is like I, I sort of I tried to stick to mostly the aftermath of the battle rather than like in-depth troop movements. Uh-huh. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, but there was a captain called William Siborn who made a huge model of the Battle of Waterloo uh, 15 years after it had happened. And he spent eight weeks on the battlefield itself just researching. He took seven years to make it. He made... Well, he certainly put 80,000 model soldiers on this 400 square foot model. It's massive. In a way, though, what we've got is one guy going to the battlefield saying, "Okay, I need to know where everyone was so I can make the model. But at the same time, all of the locals are coming in, moving all the bodies around, (laughs) taking all the bodies and stuff. That must have been really awkward. Yeah, I'm sure he was very. And actually, 15 years afterwards was around the time they were doing the, the sugar harvesting. And he interviewed dozens of soldiers saying, where were you at 7 p.m. on the 18th of June, 1815? (laughs) But he really went into detail. And then he assumed the government was going to pay for it because it was his life's work. And the government kind of had said we'll pay for it, but kind of didn't. And like Wellington was annoyed because the model had too many Prussians, is the theory. Hmm. So he died like poor and broke just with this 400 square foot model of <laughs> the Battle of Waterloo at 7pm. Do we still have it? It's in the National Army Museum now, which is in Chelsea. Wow. So it does still exist. Oh. Yeah, yeah. That's um, incredible. It's awesome, but it kind of ruined his life. Yeah. Um, wow. yeah. We should probably say Waterloo happened because Napoleon had been dealt with, defeated by, you know, the combined Allied powers and he'd been sent away to Elba where he was given 
which is a little island off Italy, yeah. where he was given command of the island. He was also given a small army and navy. What are you thinking? <laughs> this, this is the best military commander in history. We, like, he's got a small army and navy. He who can't gave, possibly. Who, who gave that to him? The British. I, do, I don't. I think it was like a, a sort of allied decision. Like yeah, they just was. said, "We'll just. It's fine. He'll step down. He won't want to come back." What so, a weird, like, what, like a desert island disc luxury island. It's <laughs> not that, Elba is not that far away. That's the crazy thing. Like, it's quite close. I've yeah. been there. It's quite close to Italy. Wow. It's really easy to get back. So, obviously, he does a few, like, he improves Elba a bit to sort of fix, fixes it in various ways. Then he comes back, like, straight back. But only with a small army. Only with a small army. And, it's, <laughs> and then, so this is in 1815. It's called The Hundred Days between him, like, leaving Elba and getting to Waterloo, yeah. where he's eventually defeated because everyone has suddenly scrambled back into action. Yeah. But the, and the Bourbon monarchy has been restored. It's Louis XVIII, I think, who's been put on the throne of France. Slightly embarrassing, obviously. Mm-hmm. He's just sort of sidled back onto the throne. And um, as soon as Napoleon lands in France, Louis XVIII sends two big forces, w- led by two two marshals, who, like, Napoleon's generals were all called marshals, sends two marshals. As soon as they meet Napoleon, they change sides. Like, instantly. Oh, really? He just <laughs> says, look, it's me. It's Napoleon. Boney's back. Come Let's on, go. Guys. And they just change sides. And he's in charge of France again. And the, the monarchy flees again. And then all of Europe has to wake up and scramble and, you yeah. know, wow. and draw and- him to Waterloo and try and defeat him. And they're basically led by um, a duo of Wellington and Blücher, and they were really different characters. Oh, were they? So Wellington sounds like a, like a bit of a dick, maybe, to hang out with, but really good general. So his forces didn't really love him um, because he was quite cold, quite arrogant. The he was Iron Duke. The Iron Duke, yes. Mm. Yeah, you're never going to love someone called the Iron Duke, mm. go to the parties with him. Whereas Blücher was more um, very brave, not a good strategist, didn't plan ahead. but He just was the like... disco ball duke. <laughs> exactly, yes. Um, so, and they, he was called Papa Blücher by his men uh-huh. and um, they wow. loved and okay. trusted him. But yeah, Wellington quite cocky apparently. And the interesting thing about Blücher, one of the interesting things is he invented a type of boot, didn't he? So did he? Just did like he? Wellington did. So Wellington had his boot. Hang on, that that's not his boot, is it? The Wellington boot. It's oh, named yeah. after him. Yeah, and he but he was, didn't invent it. Well, he did he, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure he. Wore he boots. wanted people to have a special kind of boots to go into battle. Yeah, with. right. Yeah. Uh, two, and it was, two boots each. Yeah, three. One of them had three. And um, he, yeah, he was. He didn't do the designing or the yeah. making of it or anything yeah, yeah. like that. But it was his idea, I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah and they weren't wellies. They weren't wellies. Yeah, yeah. They were. They were proper boots. Yeah, it wasn't like a farmer. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, imagine squelching into. Like some shiny ones, like with rainbows on, like you get in Glastonbury. Yeah. Yeah. Napoleon actually lost because he wore his kitten heels on the day of the battle and he got stuck in some mud. Um, so he was so in Bluka, Crocs. Bluka had a boot too. Yeah, so Wellington had his boot, but they weren't, that hadn't been invented at the Battle of Waterloo, but Bluka's boot had been. So right. the Bluka army went in in Bluka's boots, but the Wellington army didn't go out in Wellington boots because they hadn't been invented. The idea of generals having their kind of their merch. It's a good it's idea. Like, yeah, you can good. imagine the final speech on the morning of the battle. And if you put in the offer code Bluka, <laughs> you'll get 10 marks off the price of your first pair. Um, but no, it was this huge, like it was 200,000 men crammed into about five square miles. Like it yeah. was a very, very, very deadly battle. Like lots of casualties, yeah. hence all the bodies. Um, I think 50,000 were killed or seriously injured. It was a really sort of bloody 
Yeah. It, it took place over about four days. Waterloo was on the final day, and there were three, yeah. le- like three smaller battles leading up to the big final confrontation. And not in Waterloo as well, we should say. No, n- nearby. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it's like with um, Roswell, so that... with the alien incident. All oh, right, you know, it was because the aliens were brought back to Roswell. It's called Roswell. <laughs> oh my gosh. This uh, was oh the information God. was sent from Waterloo. I thought it was safe there. from you. I thought this fact was <laughs> so, like this is a damn proof uh, fact. There's no way he's going to be able to get on. So the, the tripod yeah. came down <laughs> onto the battlefield. Um, that's interesting. So that was where his office was. That's where they were stationed. Yeah, ah, okay. and basically the as it says, it's like the official report had the dateline and the location on it, and Waterloo was the location. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, which was close. It was super close. close. Yeah. As was Roswell. Miles. Roswell was it was right next door to Corona. Yeah. You know, Corona. That's where. Yeah, what? I know, right? <laughs> Get out. Right? No one else has been pushing this conspiracy like I have. So I'm glad we're all on board. <laughs> but yes, aliens gave us the coronavirus. Wow. This was the end of the Napoleonic War, mm-hmm. or was it? <gasps> there was actually another battle afterwards, which France won in the Napoleonic War. So France won the last battle of the Napoleonic War. Get out. The Battle of Wavre. Uh, and what happened was it was French reinforcements coming to Waterloo, and they met up with the Prussians, right. and there was a big battle. But what they didn't realize is the Battle of Waterloo had already finished. Right. And so... Napoleon had lost, um, but there was another battle going on to bring reinforcements. France won that. Oh, brilliant! Let's go. Oh, it's finished. Wow, that is so interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. So technically, if you win the last battle of war, does it mean that you win the whole war? I reckon if it's like winner stays on. It's last goal wins. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Are we trying to get more French (laughs) listeners? (laughs) I'm not counting it. Andy, you've only got a few more minutes. Stop, stop, stop. We never talk about Waterloo (laughs) ever again. There are a few um, Joan of Arc types at Waterloo, a few women. Uh, Yes. Uh, they seem to be mostly on the Prussian side, actually. Uh, there was a, a woman called Eleanor Prochaska and Friederike, uh, I think she called herself Frederick, wasn't her actual name, uh, Kruger, and they just cut their hair. Freddy Kruger. Freddy Kruger. <laughs> How did I not? <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. Oh, my God. Is Freddy, that real? Well, I'm trying to welcome Dan back into the conversation. Yeah, Freddy, Freddy Kruger. That was where he got famous. That's so good, because there's also a famous water skier called Freddy Kruger. Really? Oh. There's this person at the battle. We're only one away from an only connect question. Oh, wow. <laughs> Well, there you go, Victoria Curran, if you're listening. Um, Frederick Kruger cut her hair, went and fought at Waterloo, gave herself away. Apparently, one account said when she spoke in a particularly high voice suddenly. I'll find you in your dreams. (laughs) I'm coming for you. Don't go to sleep. Stop the podcast. Stop the podcast. Hi, Dan. Do you know how many numbers there are in the world? Oh, um... Yeah, there's infinite. Oh. Is that not right? Yeah, it is. There's lots of different types of infinity, but we'll go into that later because there's only three numbers that you need to know today if you have a small (laughs) business um, that wants to get a new financial system and streamline its accounting. And those numbers are 37,000, 25, and 1. Okay. What could these possibly mean, man? Well, 37,000, that's the number of businesses who have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25 refers to the fact that NetSuite turns 25 years old this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And one, because Daniel Schreiber, you, and the business of this theoretical person that I'm talking to, 
are one of a kind. Right. So with NetSuite, you get a customized solution for all of your key performance indicators in one efficient system. That's right. So if your business is absolutely humming, but you've fallen behind because all this admin stuff is going on, you're buried in all the manual work, get NetSuite. It's going to help you streamline all your business and just make it a simple process. That's the one thing to take away from this, as well as the fact that James says, I'm one of a kind. <laughs> so if you would like to use NetSuite and its popular KPI checklist, that's the key performance indicators that are designed to keep you excellently performing, absolutely free, you can go to netsuite.com fish. That's right. So go to netsuite.com fish to get your own KPI. API checklist, netsuite.com slash fish. Now, Dan, let me tell you about all these different infinities. <laughs> okay, let's do it. But first, on with the show. On with the podcast. Okay, it is time for fact number two, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is that puffer fish don't have a functioning stomach, so they digest food in their rectum. <laughs> Much like President Garfield. Yes. Oh, wow. I hadn't made uh, that connection. Or those people on a boat one time, you know, who uh, like no. put food up the bum. Did they? I no, don't remember don't this. Uh, Do you remember? Was, was I don't think what, Hannah was there. This is one of your yacht parties, isn't it? <laughs> it was the, um, they put turtle blood up their anus or something. Oh, like yes. The shipwreck, the yeah, shipwreck yes. family. That's right. The like, yeah. animals, the turtle animals. So yeah. we've got President Garfield. Yeah. Those guys, the puffer fish, were just one away from an only connect <laughs> question. If you're listening, Victoria. So do they, like President Garfield, put the food up their bums? No, they do not. Okay. Um, <laughs> puffer fish get the name because they puff up. Yeah. If they're in danger, they make themselves much bigger by sucking in a load of water and just becoming a big ball. Now, in order to do that, they've lost their stomach because the stomach would get in the way of this skill. You and mean evolutionarily or just every time they puff up, <laughs> their stomach disappears? Evolutionarily or by design from God, they have <laughs> lost their stomach. Uh, and so the way that they eat is they get the food into their body and they absorb the nutrients when it's going down their throat, when it's going in their intestines, and also when it's going into their rectum. They have enzymes that break down the food. They have, you know, they have an acidic mucus all the way down their digestive system. But the reason that they don't have a stomach is to have a stomach, you need to have a sphincter on either side mm. and it to be a bag. And they mm. don't have that particular thing. They've only got one sphincter. They only have one sphincter yeah. uh, on that in that system, and then the mouth is the other one. It's really interesting when you think, you know, we're all just a bag with two sphincters. We are yeah. really, yeah. yeah. We're a deuterostome, yeah. As in, the mouth comes first, yeah, and then mm -hmm. the anus comes, and then all the other bits come. There's the tube stuff, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. humbling stuff, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but they're very. I didn't really. They're awesome. I really like puffer fish. Fish are awesome. Yeah, yeah. they're that's great. so cool. They're um, quite silly, I think. They're very silly. Oh, no. I, I think as a as a defense mechanism, I think inflating yourself like a balloon rather and and I think basically ha they had to evolve that because they're not very good swimmers. And so instead yeah. they just puff themselves up to this too big to eat, like a comedy animal. Um, they're the only fish that my daughter can recognise, the only species of fish. Oh really? That's oh a, wow. That's a fact. <laughs> Oh, that's a, a good, good fact. fact. As yeah. in, if you give her a picture of loads of fish, yeah. she'll recognise that they're fish, but yeah. if puff fish, she'll go, puff a fish. Oh, oh nice. nice. I used to have a puffer fish as a kid, as no. a pet. Yeah. Did you? Yeah. Really? I, it was dead, but I was given it in oh. Hong Kong on the... Uh, was it inflated? 
Uh, yeah, it was. Nice. Uh, it was inflated, and a, a guy had caught it, and I went, it was a fishing village in Hong Kong, and he gave it to me. It was dead. He gave it to me in a bag, and I brought it home, and I kept it, and we had a fridge for some reason in the hallway of the building that we lived in, so yeah. it was like on the group staircase. Yeah. So I used to go every day and visit my puffer fish Lovely. and just open it and what see it. Does hell? it count as a pet if it's dead? I think... I, because I visited it, that's how I count it. Uh, as a, yeah. I kind of like, yeah, and it stunk out the whole building. I didn't recognize because <laughs> oh. I was so used to the smell what? and no one could locate it where the smell was <laughs> how coming How could they from. not locate it if it was in the fridge? Just... When, when someone else opened the fridge, didn't they say? Well, I guess no one did. No one opened the fridge. <laughs> no right? one ever opened Because it was fridge. our fridge. No one touched right, our fridge. Right, Wait, right, hang right. on. How, so we, how old were you? I was about eight. So how come your, par your parents opened the fridge, right? Yeah. Did your parents never say... You know what, Dan? I think it's time you threw out this dead puffer fish. <laughs> I just didn't tell them, so they just didn't know where this thing was coming from. Probably after a while, it would have got a load of flies and worms and stuff in mm, it, right? It was pretty rotten, yeah. So your parents would have to, after a while, go, Dan, I've got bad news. Your dead puffer fish is alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so true. Uh, Anna, the I've actually got a puffer fish anecdote. It's not as good as these two's. Um, my daughter can recognise slash I used to have a dead pet one right. but, but I was at an antiques market a couple of months ago mm -hmm. and one of the items on sale there yeah. was a puffer fish lamp oh, where yeah. someone had inflated oh, yeah. a puffer fish mm -hmm. and then I don't know how got a light bulb into it oh one of the sphinxes probably, <laughs> probably, probably to get it in. yeah 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 um, but I didn't buy it did you not? I don't regret no. not buying it because no. it was a pretty macabre thing. Wow, this is amazing. So Andy's got a pufferfish story. You've got one. Yeah. I've got one. If we can get Anna one, we'll have another question. This is going to be the most esoteric <laughs> episode of an already quite esoteric show. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Tune in for my spin-off documentary, wow. Anna Finds a Pufferfish Story. Anna and the Blowfish. Yeah. Are the Blowfish the same as a Pufferfish? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So. And they're the same as Fugu. Yes. Yeah, I think the Fugu are traditionally dead as well, but less <laughs> rotten than Dan's. It's not their this is one of their defences, the puffing up, mm -hmm. but it's not their only defence because they're incredibly poisonous. Is it a defence, though, if you can't use... They can't shoot their livers out of themselves, right? Which is what is... I believe most not. of the toxins. So... They, no, but it's but a defense. You it, advertise that you're poisonous with what you look yeah, like, yeah. I yeah, suppose. Yeah, okay, right. So, you know, there's a thing in Japan where, um, so pufferfish and fugu, there's there's different species of pufferfish, right? I think there's oh, yeah, like, like 200 like, species yeah. and they all look a bit different. Um, fugu is a big one in Japan. It's a delicacy. Um, we all know it to be dangerous if not prepared by the correct chef because of all these toxins and poisons. And you do get trained as a chef. You, you've got to be over 20. You've got to spend years in an academy doing it. Well, can I just quickly say, yeah. you don't. Yeah, it, exactly. <clears throat> this is the problem. It's regionally specific yeah ah. so in some areas of japan you have to as dan says you do a written test you do a practical test you do all sorts of stuff in other bits of japan just go to a lecture yeah you, you can just go do to, it or like maybe within a brief an lecture hour series it's can you like do it on zoom yeah <laughs> <laughs> you can get a license because that'd be great because you could just watch it and then put your camera so no one can see you and exactly. then you can just go to the pub yeah, yeah. It's, so it's chefs pretty, keep wanting yeah. to have regulations put in place. So I read an article 2009. Hundreds of people were poisoned by badly prepared fugu. 34 of them died. Um, wow. Yeah, there was there was one guy. Um, sorry, there was a group of men in northern Japan who, when they ate uh, grilled blowfish testicles, found themselves uh, very, very ill because of unlicensed chefs. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, but I, I just realized I've made a mistake. That was before the new license system in 2019. Yeah. So, yes. It used to be regionally specific. Yeah, I yeah. believe maybe now you can no longer just go to the Zoom lecture. And that was, for, <laughs> that was yeah. for a long time, and thousands of people were dying. <laughs> what is wrong with us, though? It can't. Is it curiosity? What? It can't be that good. What's wrong with us that I we think, want to eat I it? I think it's tasty. Tasty. Nothing can be that it gives tasty. you a bit of a buzz. 
It makes, it? Your, yeah. makes your mouth tingle. But I think, I, and if you eat, and the liver's the best bit, and you're not allowed to eat that, I don't think, at all, are you? Even if you're serving fugu. You, the have best to, bit, then? you have to remove <laughs> well, the, well, it's meant to be. Because they serve, so like in 2011, there was a woman in a restaurant who specifically said to the chef, you know, please give me the liver. I, I know you're not supposed to, but do it. And I think oh. they do, so he did. And then yeah. she ended up going to hospital, and obviously. A, there was a famous actor, a Japanese uh, kabuki theatre actor called uh, Mitsugoro Bando the Eighth. And in 1975, he went to a fugu restaurant and he persuaded one of the chefs that he had developed a natural resistance to the toxin. He built mm. it up and he asked the chef, can you do me some fugu livers? And he got the plate, he ate four fugu livers, then he died. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I don't think he had, whether he thought he had built up a resistance or not, he hadn't. The other yeah. thing is that these days you can make harmless fugu. So they get the poison by eating the special bacteria. Yeah. So if you can make your fugu fish grow up in a place where this bacteria doesn't exist, then it's not going to be poisonous. It's amazing. The, it's not the it? same. It's not the same. Well, well, let you tingle. As chefs say, that's it seems insane. We can now breed <laughs> fugu that tastes the same but don't poison you. And yeah. one chef has asked about it and said, no, I'm not going to serve it. It's obviously more than a little exciting to go to a restaurant knowing it might be the last meal you ever eat. Where's the enjoyment in eating something with no risk yeah, in it? I completely agree. I completely agree. Yeah. Um, you know how you said it's different regionally in some places? Yeah, yeah. In Shimonoseki area, it's not called fugu. It's called fuck you. Wow. Seems more appropriate. Yeah. Uh, that, is that your last words to the chef when you die? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think you know that you've been poisoned until about... 25 minutes later? Yeah. So I think you've got time to get the bill and have to pay it. And then you realise, as you're leaving, hang on a second. As someone who's been to a puffer fish restaurant, they are very quick with the bill. Are they? Yeah. <laughs> well, you only had a starter because there was nothing that wasn't fugu on the menu. Yeah. I think I've mentioned, you mentioned this before. before yeah, and, yeah. and you thought you were going to have the chicken nuggets and they were the testicles. It was the testicles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But right. now that I've heard that the testicles are poisonous and killed someone, well, I'm kind of glad that I didn't. They're served separately often. They often have like a sole fugu meal. Yeah. Right. And it starts off with some sashimi slices. So just little raw slices arranged to look like a crane about to take flight, hmm. which is a symbol of longevity. Huh. How ironic. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get some fugu stew, fugu and rice porridge and hot sake with grilled fugu fin in it. And the testicles on the side. And fugu lovely. jelly and fugu ice cream. Oh, lovely. With some fugu hundreds of thousands and then a fugu <laughs> mint. <and> then... <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever tried pufferfish semen, which is another delicacy? Okay. Uh, no. No. Um... Do you not have mayonnaise with your <laughs> nuggets? <laughs> uh, is oh. it poisonous? Probably. Oh. I have no idea. No, I think. Oh, you fact, have milk in the UK? Milt on toast. In yeah, the... it's delicious. Yeah. What? Milt what? is a relatively common, not these days. No. But like a hundred years ago in the northeast of England, you would eat milk for sure. Stop it. No, definitely. It's the kind of thing my mum always eats and then goes, it's ridiculous that people don't have this every day these days. Come by, actually, in my Tesco Metro. Come by. You know, Mil Milton Keynes. Yeah. That was named after, you know, Stop the it. economist Keynes, John Stop Keynes. It. Yeah. Uh, he was ejaculated on by a fish. Stop and it. named the town after. <laughs> that is torture. <laughs> oh, I love it. I feel like we should talk about live puffer fish. Yeah. Uh, okay. Because they're quite nice when they're alive. Um, and they make crop circles. Oh, yes. Which are stunning and worth looking at. And we only realised this recently. So we found It's these... amazing they can get that far inland. 
It's kind of... yeah. <laughs> well, there is a theory that the Roswell aliens actually were pufferfish. Mm, yeah. Yeah, uh, there's not. But they do make these extraordinary... They look like perfect fossils. You know, you get the, the typical... Um, like ammonites. But like ammonite fossils, yeah. Mm. Um, on the floor of the ocean, they're perfectly symmetrical. They're concentric rings with um, kind of spokes coming out from them and beautiful patterns. And they were discovered in 1995 and no one knew what they were. They were just these mysterious right. things on the floor of the ocean. And it was only in 2013 that someone was down there doing a dive off the coast of Japan somewhere and went, hey, there's this puffer fish just cool. flapping its fins weirdly and it's making kinda... this pattern. Was it a mating thing or is that a different oh, fish? Yeah. I think yeah. It's, yeah. 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 it was a mating aspect piece on it, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. So the female gets to sit in the middle of these concentric circles. Yeah. And if she likes it, she um, gives an egg up and he gives a sperm up and in about one second that's mating done yeah um, and if not she doesn't there is one theory that all she cares about is how much sand is there yeah right and she doesn't care about all these beautiful kind of circles and that oh, and the fact is that the circles are a byproduct of the fact that you have to do that to get all the oh, sand into right. the middle you just have to do it in a really? certain order right. so is it like it's like the equivalent of actually my wife isn't interested in my model railway. It's that I've got a nice home which the model railway is in. It's <laughs> a really is good that point. It? Yeah, yeah, that's almost it's... flawless analogy. <laughs> I've, got, I've got some questions to ask when I go home, actually. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it is time for fact number three, and that is my fact. My fact this week is. As there used to be no way of duplicating a record, one of the best-selling songs of the 1890s had to be recorded over 10,000 times by the same singer. <laughs> That's amazing. What a day in the recording studio it must have been. Well, Take, days yeah, and days and yeah. days and weeks and months because basically every single record that you used to make <laughs> back in the day was a master copy. That's what got sold. There was no way of then recording that into being another That's record amazing. in the way that we have now. Yeah. So, so it's quite nice in a way because your record's different to everyone else's. Yeah, yeah exactly. Cool, you literally it? have a bespoke amazing. record. If there's a little mm. fart in the background, that's yeah. just for you. Mm. Yeah. So there were no mics, so no amplifiers. You had to just yell into the horn of the phonograph. <laughs> and if you were particularly wealthy, you were able to get four or five horns around you. And so you could make oh. up to five copies of a single song. So it's thought that the best-selling single of the 1890s was sung by a guy who was an African-American called George Washington Johnson. And he was a street singer on the New York streets. He was just doing it for pennies. And he used to sing a couple of songs which were very, very backward and racist. And I think that's why people didn't mind uh, a black singer being uh, that well distributed. Right. Uh, it was called, you know, one was had, what were they called? We don't need to read that out. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Just some lyrics. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but there was there was a lot of it was a lot of taking himself down within the song. But one of the songs, which was the laughing song, that was the biggest song of the time. It sold fifty thousand copies. So it's said that he did copies that were like four to five uh, horns in one go, and it sold fifty thousand. So at minimum, he sang it ten thousand times. Amazing. Uh, but it was when probably you say sang, more than yeah. Was the laughing song just laughing? No, no. that was the chorus. It's... So people might know it actually. I reckon people listening to this, some of them will know it because it was covered loads of times, especially in the UK, a slightly different version called the Laughing Policeman song. Oh, which oh, I, yeah. I loved yeah, as a child. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's Me exactly too. the same. It's right. the same song, but obviously they removed all of the racist stuff and replaced it with a fat policeman yeah. who right. goes, ha, 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 
and that's the song. It's great. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's a really great song. When I was reading about this, I thought, how I can't believe the things that entertain people in the 1890s. And now you're right. We found that very entertaining in our childhood. Yeah. Good on him. Yeah, Johnson, uh, George Washington Johnson. He had a he had a, quite a sad end because yeah. they worked out how to replicate music, and he was no he no longer had a job for life basically. Yeah, yeah because uh, there were no royalties. No, exactly. So you got paid for doing your recording. Yeah. But once they managed to just copy stuff, then you never got any money anymore. Yeah. 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 Like Spotify of its day. Yeah. Oh, controversial (laughs) for our largest distribution outlet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me finish. (laughs) Yeah, he had he had a the middle bit where he was singing the song might have been the only kind of peaceful bit of his life really because yeah. he was born uh in 1846 into slavery he was made to be the best friend of the child of the family so he sort the of play- had playmate, the playmate. For, the, for the white family yeah. yeah so he then was freed and he went to new york where he lived in hell's kitchen and he was doing all this stuff where he was sort of you know on the streets singing then this big moment happens where he gets to sing all these songs as James points out, then they work out how to duplicate it. So his career is dead after, you know, sitting in a booth 20,000 times minimum <laughs> singing this stuff. And then life gets really weird for him. As Andy points out, he um, he was charged with murder. He was never convicted, yeah. but he was, it was brought on to him. Both of his wives died suddenly yeah. when living with him. Yeah. And yeah, he was charged with trying to murder one of them. Yeah. Well, actually murdering one of them. I did read a report of an altercation he had with his wife. This was in the Earth newspaper in 1899. And its headline was too much whistling. Because his main thing was whistling, right? Mm. He yeah. And he was famous on the streets of New York for whistling. And it said, George Washington Johnson is in trouble because um, he couldn't restrain his disposition to whistle at all times. He quarreled with his wife because she got tired of him whistling all over the house. So she shot him and he thumped her and Crazy. died the next night. So that was a story in what I assume was a tabloid equivalent. He whistled too much. She shot him. Yep. He hit her. And then she died. And, and then, then she, she died. died. Right. In the olden days, you could just make a living from being really good at whistling. I was just thinking <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. Like, you don't have cool? to code or anything. No. You could just whistle. There was a guy called Freeman Davis, who was known as Brother Bones, who was a shoeshine boy, and people noticed how good he was at whistling. And he would also play his shoeshine instruments like, uh, you know, spoons, like the spoons you might do. And he became really famous, and his uh, whistling became the theme song of the Harlem Globetrotters. There was Sybil Sanderson Fagan, who was one of the most famous whistlers in America in the 1920s. And she would do whistling of birdsong. So you would buy a vinyl and it would just be her pretending to be a thrush or a mockingbird or something. She left her husband, who was a playwright called Eugene P. Bardin, because um, she claimed that he had drugged her on her wedding day. Um, and so she got married because she said that she'd been drugged into getting married. <gasps> he drugged her into oh, the marriage. Wow. I yeah, thought you meant yeah. after the wedding had happened, no, then he drugged no, her. No. Oh, my goodness. Uh, there was Fred Lowry, who was a professional whistler in the 40s and 50s, who was blinded by scarlet fever at the age of two, then became a whistler. And then he later went away from pop music and became a religious whistler. Oh, religious um, whistler. Yeah, he would go to um, churches and whistle hymns instead of whistling pop songs. Nice. Uh, but yeah, it's just amazing that you got all these yeah. people who all they could do was whistle. I'm not. <laughs> all we can do is podcasts. So it's, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I can Where's whistle. The... I can whistle. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Come yeah on, well, the... Let's hear your thrush. Oh, my thrush. <laughs> uh, oh, shit, I've got thrush. <laughs> um, um, well, the, wasn't the first, was it Eurovision? 
the halftime act was a, a troop of whistlers. Was it? Called the <laughs> Rossignols, I think, yeah. Oh, that means uh, Nightingale in French. Oh, there we go. Okay, well, that's that. It's all coming together. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's a big, big deal. If you say in French, uh, j'ai les Rossignols, which I think means I have Rossignols, it means there's a problem with your car. Because it's like you have nightingales in your engine and it's making a weird tweeting noise. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, the earliest sound recording we have, we actually only heard a few years ago, but it was from way earlier than we thought, like 20 years before Edison in 1857. And it was a French guy called Edouard Léon Scott de Martin V. And he basically recorded sound but he didn't know how to play it back. He hadn't invented the instrument to right. transmit it in. Wow. So he just recorded it onto a bit of paper. That takes yeah. a lot of trust when you're going to the dragons. Doesn't it? <laughs> no, honestly, I have recorded sound. You just can't hear it. It's fine. You can show them the paper and go, this would sound yeah. amazing if you try to imagine it. And we managed to engineer it in 2008 to wow. play. One his of, piece of paper? His piece of paper, his no. 1860 piece of paper. Indicated. Um, yeah, it was covered in, in soot and the sound waves were etched in. So um, vinyl is PVC, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and that was invented or first synthesized by a guy, a German chemist called Eugene Baumann uh, in 1872. And he had been making some vinyl chloride in a flask and had just left it on a shelf for a All few right. days, maybe a few weeks, the sunlight had got on it, and then there was a white compound in there, and he thought, I wonder what this is. And that turned out to be PVC. Wow. Um, and then think, did, he, <laughs> did he then stick his arm in the flask to try and get it out, and it formed a sexy pvc glove yeah and he realized this has huge implications for the erotic clothing industry yeah. well that is the story that's apparently what happened he um eugene bauman also identified the source for um the smells in urine uh and proved the active ingredient in your thyroid gland which is what stops you from getting goiters Oh, um, so just a few wow. things back. Wow, wow, range. Back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all chemistry. What do you lead with, though? <laughs> On the CV. <laughs> the, yeah. Oh, I know why. Why? Why pee smells? Yeah, I know why piss you? smells. If you're sat next to someone at a wedding, and they say, "What do you do?" and you say, "I'm a chemist," and they go, "Oh, have you chemisted anything that I might know?" <laughs> then what is uh, her response? Well, have you ever smelled some piss? <laughs> <laughs> I know why. <laughs> Your best man is very rude. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, dear. I don't think we've ever mentioned Chichester Bell before. Okay. Because I, I didn't know about him anyway. Is and that he's, a person? He's Alexander Graham Bell's brother. Oh, Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> really? Chichester. Also a phonograph pioneer. Chichester Bell. What a name. <laughs> he invented the earliest voicemail. Around about the time his brother Alex was really? working on phones. Mm. Yeah, he invented voicemail. And the way it worked was... Um, <laughs> it was a phonograph cylinder that you recorded your voice onto. Yeah. So the grooves are all in the, in the right place. Um, and then you just you posted it to your friend. <laughs> cool. and the problem is it. that they would get it and they'd be like, oh, who's it from? And they go, Chichester Bell. And they go, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> That's just spam, mate. <laughs> Stop the podcast. Stop the podcast. Hey, everyone. This week's episode of Fish is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Absolutely. ExpressVPN, if you're not using it and you're going online, it's like using your smartphone without a protective case. 
Uh, mm. Most of the time it'll be fine, but then of course you'll drop it down the toilet one day or drop it on the street and it'll crack and then you're knackered. Uh, and the thing is, going online without ExpressVPN is probably fine. But the thing is, if you go onto an unencrypted network in a cafe or hotel or something, there might be a naughty little hacker sitting in the corner <laughs> and your data is valuable to hackers. They can make, I'm reading, up to $1,000 per person selling personal info on the dark web. That's right. So what you need is all new encrypted tunnel. That's right. Create a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. Therefore, hackers can't steal your stuff because they don't know where your tunnel is and they don't know how to shovel their way into it. So if you want to make sure that you have the most secure experience that you possibly can online, go to expressvpn.com fish. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash fish. And you're going to get an extra three months free with your subscription. That's right. It's very easy to use. You can use it on all your devices, your laptop, your phone, your tablet. You can use it to access TV shows that are on in other countries. That's why I use ExpressVPN. And you can secure your data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash fish and get your extra three months for free. Okay, on with the podcast. On with the show. Okay, it is time for our final fact of the show, and that is Anna. My fact this week is that the US government maintains a database of dad jokes. <laughs> <laughs> what an excellent fact. There we are. We're off the blocks. Okay. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Three guys absolutely straining for a dad joke there. <laughs> I don't know why I presented this fact because this promises to be hell the next 20 minutes with you guys. <laughs> but um, this is on a website that's run by the Office of Family Assistance, which is a government resource for fathers, basically, for families. And they have a website within that called the National Responsible Fatherhood Clearinghouse. And if you go to that website, which I would recommend, then you can click on, you know, dad resources and you can submit your own dad jokes and you can click give me a joke and they'll give you a dad joke. You can click give me another, they'll give you another. I don't know how long it goes on for. I sat there for about half an hour. Wow. <laughs> if you go to the mum section of mm. this website, is it all practical stuff? Like how to feed a baby, <laughs> how to change a baby, how to keep a baby alive? It's yeah. a load of your mum jokes. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I thought that was really interesting. And yeah. I guess the idea is that being a father um, is perhaps something people need help with. With, of course, as they do with all bits of parenting, and it's useful a useful skill to have in your back pocket as a dad, being able to whip out a really bad, really inoffensive joke, which seems to basically mm. be the definition is that they're bad and they're not offensive. Yeah. So they give you a bunch of the jokes with the reveals on mm -hmm. the site. Oh, okay. All right. So here's the first one that came yeah. up that I saw. Mm -hmm. What do you call a man with a rubber toe? Uh, Roberto. Roberto. Yes. <laughs> really? <laughs> I don't think that's a dad joke, actually. I kind of I'll, agree. I would say. Oh, what? Why not? So my definition of a dad joke is a joke where it is in response to something a child often says. Yep. And you always repeat it all the time, all the time, all the time. Ah. So, for instance, Anna's mum joke, which is, can you turn on the light? Mm -hmm. And then your mum goes and flirts with the light and she's like, are you turned on yet? Yes. Uh -huh. I think that's a dad joke because it's something that kids will always say. I, I have an actual dad joke that I do and I've been doing for six years now, oh, every wow. single time it's said. Yeah. And it's whenever it's kind of getting to the evening and Fenella says, can you draw the curtains? Okay. I always say, 
Can, uh, can I have a pencil? Let me just get a pencil. I'd love right. to. I'd love to, but I don't have a pencil. Mm. Yeah, and, that's a dad joke, yeah. I think. Interesting. I, I think they're two strands of dad jokeism, which, you know, is a complex being. I agree that is one. But then I think I remember, you know, my dad told jokes and they seemed to very much fall into the dad joke category of mm. what does a dog call the thing on top of a house? Ruff. Um, Would he was... regularly say it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I think these are things that you regularly mm. say, right? I kind of feel like they're more cracker jokes. Yeah. Like Christmas well, cracker there's, jokes. Well, there's, yeah. there's a thin line. There's a really nice theory about why dad jokes are good. This is mm. great. Okay. Why they're good. Well, no, not, not sorry. Why they happen. <laughs> they, yeah, they are good. So the... <laughs> well, no, I mean, your one about the curtains is amazing. Pencil, please. Brilliant. Gets a laugh every time. So the idea is that this is from the British Psychological Society. I personally, I'm not sure I buy it, but I like it. It's that by continually telling their children jokes that are so bad they're embarrassing, fathers may be pushing their children's limits of how much embarrassment they can handle. <laughs> so you're, you're That's sh- great. Showing your child that embarrassment isn't fatal because the child is mortified to hear. And uh, if you're, nice. you know, your child is adolescent, which feels again a bit like the ship has sailed in terms of, you know, dad jokes are normally when a child is five or yeah, yeah. Um, but there's a the sort of theory builds because the theory is if your ch- child has been exposed to years of awful jokes by this point and has shown that dad can cope with people not caring that people think dad is an idiot <laughs> mm. the children will be able to be themselves better how interesting yes. nice. so that's it's but it's more for the benefit of the dad i don't know i feel like well uh, james i f- i feel like you wrote this up in a book for I one did. of the qi yeah, books yeah, yeah. QI book. so i read quite a few theories that one included another one about why they happen is when you have a kid who's two years old like i do almost basically they'll laugh at anything like literally anything. <laughs> if I say to my daughter, like she wants to read Mog, and I say, do you want to read Moog? She will piss herself laughing. Mm. And then if I'm like, oh, do you want to read the very hurikutapudu? She will just find it the funniest thing in the world, mm-hmm. right? And the idea being... <laughs> You're making that... her racist against Belgians. <laughs> that... that... I'm still not over Waterloo, the truth be told. <laughs> um, the thing is, the kids will laugh at almost anything. And then as a dad, that kind of builds your confidence. And then as you get older, you're like, this idiot will laugh at everything. And she always laughed at whenever I said Mook instead of Mog. So I'm going to keep doing it. And you just keep doing it and keep doing it. Yeah. And then as the kids get older, they realize this isn't funny at all. And that's when they realize that they're dad jokes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Does the dadness of the joke depend on the child understanding it's not funny? Mm. I think someone has to be on the outside knowing that it's not funny. It might be my wife. <laughs> yeah. For instance, she would know it's a dad joke. Uh, yeah, but the other thing is, yeah. like, quite often they're kind of wordplay-ish. And there's a theory that by doing this wordplay again and again and again, it helps to teach language skills. Yeah. yeah. I buy that. Yeah, yeah. Although yeah, are... exactly that. And I think also it teaches them uh, joke structure and to and it just brings funniness to the house. It's just a great <laughs> way to keep things funny mm. in the house. I still think that I really like them. I'm very fond of them. I think by definition, a dad joke isn't funny. That's what it is. It's a joke that's kind of predictable. So I read an article by a linguist about dad jokes and I thought the example that she used was not a dad joke for me because I thought mm. it was actually funny. It wasn't the bunga bunga one, was it? <laughs> <laughs> We can't have that again. The letters last time. Oh, it's perfectly inoffensive, okay? It doesn't cross that boundary. But uh, the joke is that a man comes up to a widow at the funeral of his old friend and he says to the widow, do you mind if I say a word? And she nods. And the man clears his throat and says gently, plethora. And the wife smiles sadly and replies, thanks, that means a lot. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> I think that's a very good joke. That's it's a good, a good joke. joke. It's, it's too good. good. It's too good. It's too good. Can I give you some examples of dad jokes? Yeah. When, when I was writing this article for the QI book, uh, I asked my followers on Twitter for some dad jokes. Mm. Uh, so I'll give you the kid saying something, and you have to say what the dad says as a joke oh, in yeah. response. Okay. Yeah, so okay. Adam Sia said that he would say, "Are you all right, Dad?" Um. Uh. No, I've got a left hand side as well. No, I'm half left. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, there you yeah, go. Yeah. Okay. Chris Emerson, our friend Chris Emerson, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, said he would say to his dad, "I'm off." Uh, uh, off what? Off com? No. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> and the dad would reply, um, "I wondered what that smell was." Oh, that's good. Uh, yeah, oh. right. yeah. And um, Cardinal Grumpy, I think perhaps not his real name. Mm. Um, <laughs> senior prelate in the Catholic Church. <laughs> <laughs> if they said, "I'm thirsty." So my dad, what would be the reply? I'm dad. Nice to meet you. Pretty close. Oh, uh, no, it's Wednesday. Oh, put them together. Hi, I'm, I'm Wednesday. Change the day. Friday. I No, you're not. You're, fr I'm fr you're Friday. You're pretty much that. Nice Who else to meet is you. Friday? Okay, I'm going to give it you. <sighs> yeah. So he says, dad, I'm thirsty. Dad mm. says, pleased to meet you Thursday. I'm Friday and he's Robinson Crusoe. Oh, oh I see. wow, that's, that's a really no, well-read kid. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to hear one of the first ever your mum jokes? Yeah, go on. Yeah, oh, is think... it like Babylonian? Is it like as far? There back are. As I there am? is one, and it's from a. It's, <laughs> it's for, there's one which is um, from a partial bit of text, mm. so it's not really clear what the entire joke is. Right. Um, but there is another one from 100 AD, which is Rabbi Eliezer. <laughs> Um, was said to have gone and interrupted a man who had been reading a banned text, which was Ezekiel 23, by asking him, why don't you go out and proclaim the abominations of your mother? <laughs> Shiley, is that a your mum joke? It's a prototype. Yeah, uh, yeah. absolutely yeah. a mum joke. You seem yeah. to be finding it extremely funny, <laughs> judging by the look on your face. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> the sad thing is, I'm afraid, for the listeners, is that you'll all now remember all of these really bad jokes that we've told more than you remember a good joke. Because studies yeah. show that you remember bad jokes more than good jokes mm. because of the way they work, because they are predictable. You know, the reason that we can kind of guess the endings to the dad jokes that James asked for is that they are formulaic, good for teaching kids how these patterns work. But the definition of good humour that makes you actually laugh is that you subvert that, like pull the rug out from under someone's feet. Yeah. It's unexpected. So you never remember them. So it's yeah. so annoying. You'll only ever remember shit jokes. So and it's like, are you all right, dad? No, I have a terrible incurable disease and I won't be with you in a week's time. Right. You got that from I... the new Ricky Gervais special, didn't you? <laughs> um, that subverts the norm. It does. I think it does still have to be funny. All oh, uh, right, okay. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, um, they exist in other languages. Mm -hmm. oh, nice. uh, in France, as a child, if you say what, 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 they wouldn't understand you because they're French. But if they say it in French, they say quoi? Quoi, quoi, quoi. quoi. Uh, and any self-respecting dad will reply fur. Quoi, fur. Coiffeur, which means hairdresser, coiffeur. Mm. Oh. Uh, and in Spain, if a dad sees some soy milk, he might say, hola milk, soy papi. Lovely. Uh, uh, yes. Because Very soy good. means I am. So it means, hi milk, I'm dad. 
Nice. Ah, very, nice. Very, nice. very nice. That's the I'm hungry. Hi, hungry. I'm dad is in nine states of America the most ticked as used dad joke. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, a yeah. proper dad joke. Okay. Yeah. Is that like That's the parenting fun. test you get the, after your kid's one or something? You're back to the GP. Please check this box. Can they walk? Can they talk? <laughs> How many times have you told <laughs> this joke? <laughs> I nearly got got researching this fact. Oh, it yeah. It was a report on NPR. But obviously, really well-respected uh, radio station and great source of lots of stuff. And it was about... a. A, a list of Roman jokes, ancient Roman jokes that have been found. Yeah, uh, and it was it was a scroll found in a, like, an amphitheater, and they'd done some amazing like analysis. You know, they, you know, when they X-ray a scroll and they managed without unrolling it to scan what's yeah, inside. Yeah. And it was all these phrases found in Latin, and the, like the translation was, "Did you hear the rumor about butter? Oh well, I'm not going to spread it." You know? Oh, yeah. and I then, thought you were going to say butter. I hardly knew her. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bit. It was a bit more PG than that. This, this scroll, and then I got really far into this article, and then eventually I got to the claim that Caesar had turned up um, and addressed a crowd of senators who were angry with him by asking them what did the cucumber say to the pickle. And I realised I looked at the date. It was an April the first article. Uh, and, got, and what uh, did he say? You mean a great deal to me? Oh, good yeah. grief. Why are you getting your knives out? <laughs> <laughs> so he did deserve it, after all. It is weird that these exist all around the world, though, this stereotype, or in so many different countries. Like, Japan has old man jokes, which are oyaji, old man, then gyagu joke. Um, gyagu, like gag. Yeah, like gag. That's yeah. how they make a lot of words in Japanese, don't they? They take an English That's word and then add a U at the end. Nice. It, yeah. In Japanese, every word has to end with a vowel or an N. That like very new, yeah. So it's like a new word they've nicked. Yeah. Right, right, right. T-shirt is a t-shirt. There you go. Uh, very easy to guess. Uh, this is like <laughs> an extremely easy test. It's not much of a quiz, is it? <laughs> um, Korea, they have middle-aged man jokes, literally middle-aged man jokes. Danish has various different versions. They've got uncle humor, onkel humor. Mm. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna and... say we've been advertising babble for quite a long time, but it seems like you could just say words slightly <laughs> in an accent, and that works. All what's, right, hang what's on. the Danish one though? Because my my step grandfather's Danish, and he always used to do whatever their version is. Oh well, uncle humor is onkel humor, but for him, I think he would be more far vitiged. Yeah. Which is grandfather humor. Grandfather humor. So at the end of every meal, whenever the waiter came over to get our plates, they'd say, are you finished? And he'd say, no, I'm Danish. Every single wow. time. That is every very good. time. That yeah. That is good. Would you like some water? No, fish fucking it. You know, I was a bit young for that. I was eight. But... <laughs> that's a WC Fields joke, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's all right. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, do you know what a BJ joke is? I do, yeah. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I don't think you do. <laughs> do I? Uh, BJ um, joke. So what could it be? BJ. I don't think I'm going to guess this just before. Boris we... Johnson. No. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is technically one of those as well, I suppose. Just shot yeah. for bad joke. It's one of those. Uh, it's No, it's none of those. This is in one study, at least, which seemed to use the officially accepted academic terms for jokes. Uh, this is a 2016 study because I was looking at whether men and women do find different jokes funny because, you know, it's such a um, gender based concept the dad joke yeah and so there's a study that looked at whether they did and they divided jokes into ej's aj's and bj's which are excellent adequate and bad <laughs> it should be that it's exaggeration jokes ambiguity jokes and bridging inference jokes and so bj's are the bridging inference and that basically means that they require you to actually get the joke so when you listen to the joke you have to like attribute an intention to another so an example would be 
Jack's dream of becoming a writer comes true when his books finally publish. He asks his friend, have you read my book yet? His friend said, yes, and I bought one. And Jack happily responded, oh, that was you. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Nice. Oh, yeah, 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 right. Yeah, it's kind of bad joke that we've sort of all made about what, other that, books. That's how you tell them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you really didn't sell that one at all. <laughs> I think even Wilf would have been like, no, I'm sorry, Auntie Anna, no. It wasn't good, was okay, it? I'm so sorry. That's a, why, so the, why is that a BJ? Um, because... because we're inferring from the joke that he doesn't sell many of his books. That he's only sold one. Yeah, and exactly. you're so thankful he gave him a blowjob. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you did that with every book that you sold, didn't you? 10,000 blowjobs, oh, a bit like George Washington Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> you could do five at the same time. That was the impressive thing. <laughs> Okay, that's it. That is all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we have said over the course of this podcast, we can be found on our various social media accounts. I'm on Instagram, at Schreiberland, James. My Instagram is no such thing as James Harkin. Andy. I don't have Instagram, but I'm on Twitter at Andrew Hunter M. Yeah, or if you want to get to us as a group, where do they go, Anna? You can email podcast.qi.com or you can tweet at no such thing. That's right. Yep. Or you can just go to our website, no such thing as a fish.com. All of the previous episodes are up there. A link to the gateway to the portal that is Club Fish is up there as well. Do check it out. Lots of really fun bonus episodes are pumped out every fortnight. Uh, otherwise, just come back here because we'll be back with another episode and we'll see you then. Goodbye. <laughs>